Welcome everybody to Hacker Valley Blue, where we get the industry's best and brightest cyber defenders to share their experiences and tips on how you can better defend your assets and networks. This season, I'm gathering some of the very best blue teamers across the field to form my all-star team of defenders who will use their talents against some of the biggest cyber threats that we face today. Join me as I meet with my team, learn about their origins, what drives them, and the pivotal role they play in the world of cyber defense. So without further ado, let's get to it. When it comes to IT and security, we can agree on two things. Complexity is increasing and manual asset inventory approaches no longer cut it. It's time to adapt. And that's where Exonius comes in. Exonius correlates asset data from existing cybersecurity and SaaS solutions to provide an always up-to-date inventory, uncover gaps, and, un and automate action, giving you the confidence to control complexity. Sign up for a free walkthrough of the platform at exonius.com slash get a tour. That's A-X-O-N-I-U-S dot com slash get dash a dash tour. What's going on, everybody? Thank you for joining another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. I am your host, Davin Jackson. And if you guys aren't familiar, this season's theme is the Defenders. All season, I have been bringing different people from all over uh, the Cyber Blue team, defense side, uh, to build up my team of uh, warriors to, to go out and just defend from all the cyber threats. And in picking my team, I had to find someone who not only could lead, but could also teach others how to lead. Everybody has to have a great teacher, mentor, sensei, master, whatever it is you want to call them. Um, and I think I found a perfect one. She is the director of uh, intelligence. She has led several teams and she's also, she's also an instructor. So I feel like I hit the jackpot. So everybody watching, please welcome my guest, Katie Nichols. Katie, hey, thank you for joining Thanks so much for having me. Awesome to be here, Devin. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Um, like I said, I know you're busy, but I, I had to have you on my team. But for those who don't know, please go ahead and introduce yourself. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so currently, I'm the Director of Intelligence at a company called Red Canary. We do security operations, managed detection response across endpoint, cloud, all these other sources. Um, and it's really fun. I get to lead a team in tracking a bunch of different threats and trying to track those threats to help people make better decisions about security, et cetera. Um, so that is my primary job. Um, when I'm not doing uh, that, I'm an instructor for SANS, as you mentioned. I teach the Cyber Threat Intelligence class, Forensics 578. Um, I also get to do a monthly live stream, which is a lot of fun, sharing uh, different threat information with people in the STAR live stream. Um, I'm also a senior non-resident fellow for the Atlantic Council, which has been kind of a fun addition over the past year, trying to take some of the defender and practitioner perspective and see how I can translate that for policymakers. Um, so yeah, that's a little bit where I am now. I have uh, used to work at MITRE um, on the MITRE attack team, which was a lot of fun. Um, that's sort of how I made my transition out of the government, government contracting world and meeting a lot of uh, private sector folks and realizing how much fun this world is. So it's a little bit about, about me right now and uh, a little bit about my past. So again, like I said, thank you for joining. I know you're super busy, but uh, you talked about it briefly with your experience. Um, so could you just talk about uh, how you got started and what led you to go to the, the blue team, the, the defense side? Yeah, absolutely. Um, originally in my career, I wanted to be a journalist. 
Um, I interned for CNN. I wanted to do broadcast journalism. And uh, as many of you probably have experienced, uh, sometimes finding a job is hard and that didn't really work out. So I started out doing kind of entry-level research for a private investigative firm and uh, then met my now husband who was familiar with the intelligence community and said that, hey, you like to research, you like to write, maybe you'd be interested in intelligence analysis. And I said, cool, I'm uh, happy to give that a try. So I was really lucky, kind of right place, right time. Uh, the U.S. Department of Defense was hiring a whole bunch in cybersecurity, basically in cyber threat intelligence. And I showed up to the interview. I had done my research and they said, you seem smart. You don't know cybersecurity or intelligence, but we can teach you. You seem smart enough. So it's really, really fortunate. And I always try to keep that in mind whenever I'm hiring people or encouraging people who are newer to this field. Like if you have the potential and the you know, hunger and the capacity to grow and learn, right, I think anyone can be successful in this field. So yeah, I found out when I started it with the, the DOD that I really liked uh, tracking kind of the human side of adversaries. Right before I before I got in, I was like, "Oh, it's so boring looking at logs and like bits and bytes and that boring cyber stuff." But I realized it was really more about the humans, right? Okay, there are logs, but there's a human behind the keyboard or behind malware who created that. So I think that's what kind of gave me the passion for wanting to defend. Right, we're defending against human threats and. You know, I know I know the offensive side is fun and red teaming is fun, but for me, there's no better feeling than right knowing what a threat's going to be doing and then like helping defenders stop them. That's really satisfying. Yeah, that that's awesome. Uh, I agree with you wholeheartedly on on everything. Um, I do believe that you know we should all kind of give people chances if they if they have the capacity to learn. Like you said, the human element of putting all those pieces together. Um, describe what that feeling is like, because I compare it to like popping that shell on a pen test, right? So um, is that is that the same for you? Like, how, like, what's that feeling like when you when you're in an investigation and you and you put all the pieces together and you're like, I got it, I can, f- I, I have the whole timeline. That's funny. Yeah, I like the on the red team side, like get a shell on the threat intel side. I think it's when you're able to identify patterns across like different intrusions, different data sets, and then realize what it means. Um, this is something a lot of people, when especially when they first start tracking threats or tracking threat groups, don't quite understand. But what I think is that as you start to find those commonalities and patterns, like, hey, we saw five intrusions where they did the same thing, right? They renamed a built-in tool to Taskhost W and then they right move laterally over SMB or whatever. And then you're like, hey, wait, 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 that's happening here. So I can kind of anticipate what's going to happen next. And when you start to see the patterns and the commonalities, like I think it's like, it's kind of like a puzzle, right? And you know, it's a puzzle that there's no one answer to, but I think it's so much fun when you see the same commonalities and you can start to cluster them together And then realize that helps me understand this threat and ideally, right, inform the defenders, inform what we know and how we react. And I love the clustering piece. Um, It's sometimes frustrating and challenging because you're like, what's specific enough to associate? But, you know, fun, unique strings or like passwords from command lines or from compressed RAR files, right? All of those unique human strings and human fingerprints 
it's really satisfying when you're like, I know I've seen this before and you can kind of make that connection. So sounds like the same satisfaction from from popping a shell, right? Just a different approach. Yeah, that, that's awesome. And I, and I like the analogy of, of, of the puzzle because it's definitely, um, I think that, that that's definitely the feeling I had when I, when I was doing those um, exercises in that exam. It was just like, again, it's like you're putting the different pieces together. And then mm-hmm. from there, you're like, you see the whole picture and you're like, okay, so on this day, this person did this and that, and then they went here. And so um, I always it's thought that- hard work it, though. That's what def- a lot of people underestimate. Like doing that, it can be tedious, right? Trying to map out, like like we have tools to help us, like the timelines, but I, I think always there's going to be a human component of that, right? Like as a human, I have to combat human adversaries and trying to put the pieces together, like it's a lot of work, but it's it's really satisfying in the end. It is, it is, um, and and like like with pen testing, uh, you know, sometimes it takes a lot of it takes a lot of time to, mm. to to flesh out that vulnerability and then flesh out that exploit. Uh, but for me, it, it's exciting, right? Because you're like, mm. I know you have that gut feeling that it's like, I know it's there, and I'm there's going, some flaw. I'm gonna yeah, find there, it. <laughs> there's something here, and, and then even when you when you hone in on one, it might be a rabbit hole, but other times. Most times, if you're lucky, um, it's exactly what you need. And you you spend hours and sometimes you, you zone in. You might have your music or something playing in the background. And next thing, next thing you know, you look up and you've been there for like four hours. But for, but for <laughs> Same me- Same thing it, on our side. Yeah, I was going to say. But for me, it, it's kind of ex, it's kind of exciting. So on, on your side, what what excites you? What, you know, what keeps you excited? Because like you said, it can be a lot of work. And if your heart isn't in it, uh, you can find yourself burned out and looking for another line of work really quick. So what excites you and keeps you motivated uh, when you're doing what you do? I think one thing I love about threat intelligence is that the threats are always changing, right? It's always a little bit different. Um, like I never really know what I'm going to be finding on a certain day, right? What's going to be coming in? You know, Am I going to have to learn some new technique or some new thing the adversary is doing that I've never seen before. So I think the constantly changing piece is really satisfying and it keeps me interested, right? It's not like you get in the same rut and, you know, boring routine. Um, The other thing that I love about threat intelligence is that I really think that it's a powerful force for making change and informing decisions, right? That's what intelligence is supposed to be all about. And sometimes people lose sight of that. But um, I think it's it's really fun to be able to say like, hey, before we didn't know anything about these threats. Now look at all of this stuff and these uh, insights and findings that we have and you can inform others, right? And help them make some kind of better decision, right? About their security posture. Oh, we need to remove this built-in tool because it's ruining uh, our environment and adversaries are using it or, right? Some kind of improvement. And I find that, Right, informing others and helping them do better, I find that to be really satisfying. Yep, absolutely. And, and speaking of informing others, um, you spent some time uh, with with the MITRE framework and and incorporating your your threat intelligence into that attack framework. I understand that 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 was amazing to do, and it was a great thing and a big thing to do, and it was important. But what motivated you to? to incorporate that. Cause I mean, for those who know, you know, the MITRE framework is, is a series of basically frameworks on how to, 
on on how to attack, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> um, but yeah, to to incorporate the 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 cyber threat intelligence aspect to it, like what what was your motivations there? Yeah, I was really another right place, right time kind of thing. Um, right after Mitre Attack was publicly released around 2015. I had been working in government security operations centers, and I was kind of looking for something a little different to do. Um, and one of the creators of Attack, Blake Strom, approached me and said, hey, like, we've started, you know, mapping out different groups to attack, but we really need someone to kind of take that and run with it. And I said, cool, this sounds fun. So, you know, started getting my feet wet, helping out a little bit, and then Attack just kind of took off. Right. It was it was a really fun and exciting time. And it was just cool to be part of, right, what Blake and the team had started and trying to help grow that and help people really understand that, right, attack, it's a framework of different adversary behaviors, but the framework doesn't do the work for you. Right. Like anything as we talked about, you have to do the work and helping people understand how powerful it was, though, you know, if you start to apply it to what threats are doing, mapping out okay, here are the techniques I've seen this group use. And from there, I can use that knowledge to tell my defenders, we need to collect PowerShell logs because red teamers and adversaries, they love their PowerShell, right? Yes, we do. So I think that was what was really fun is, you know, being able to um, kind of build on what was, what folks at MITRE had already started and just kind of get the word out about how this framework can be useful. And I think it's cool to see now because the team's still rocking it over there and, like attack has become a household name and sort of just like a an assumed thing everyone uses, which is which is really awesome. No, it is. Um, you you're, you're in meetings and you're like, yeah, just just look at the attack framework and you. Yeah. You know, I remember when when it when I first started, I really didn't know what it was, but I kept hearing it in meetings, and I'm like, okay, I'm gonna write this down and. I should probably look into this thing. Yeah, probably look into it, but yeah, like you said, now it's literally like like the go to. What other things do you do to kind of stay ahead of, of things? You know, with, with attacks happening, what seems like every week and every time you turn around in the news, someone's being breached or there's some attack out there. Um, what, what, what do you do or what do blue teamers do to kind of stay ahead um, of, of these attacks? Because just trying to keep up with coming up with the exploits and, and learning the exploits is overwhelming. So I can only imagine what it's like on the other side trying to defend against all of them. Yeah, I think one important thing that I try to do and my team at Red Canary and others should do as well is partner across different teams, right? Um, so at Red Canary, we have a threat research team. Um, my teammate, Matt Graber, so awesome at thinking about like, what could an adversary do in the future, right? So whereas, you know, myself and my team, we take a look at, right, what are, what kind of ransomware attacks are happening right now? What techniques are adversaries using, Right. Having those researchers, offensive researchers, right, vulnerability researchers, malware researchers, anyone who's kind of taking a deeper look or a forward-looking dive into, okay, what are all of the things that a built-in binary like Mishta could do, right? We're really focused on, okay, what are we seeing in the wild? But trying to listen to people who do really deep research like that, what are the next things that maybe we're not seeing adversaries do right now, but what are researchers telling us is possible? What are the things that our red teams are doing that maybe we haven't thought about defending? Um, and I think there's a balance there, right? Because as threat intel analysts, we often focus on what the real threats, quote, real are doing. But sometimes we've seen, right, things that techniques that red teamers adopt, real adversaries or proper villains, as my friend Tony says, 
we'll start adopting those soon after. So I think that, right, it's a really challenging mix of tracking what's happening right now, but then also trying to anticipate being forward-looking and listening to the people who are doing that kind of research, I think is really, really important. Absolutely. Before I go any further, uh, I do have to give a shout out to this season's sponsor, Uptix. Uptix provides a fir- the first unified cloud-native analytics platform that enables both endpoint and cloud security from a common solution uh, to enable security professionals to quickly prioritize, investigate, and respond to potential threats across a company's entire attack surface. By unifying uh, the visibility in a single tool, security operation analysts can focus on one tool set and interface to improve productivity and efficiency. Uh, Katie, you talked about bringing in different teams and and looking at different information. how useful could a tool like that be uh, when you're trying to bring all that information together to come up with actionable items? Yeah, I think tooling is one of those things that we should always be thinking about how we can, right? I like what they say about increasing efficiency, scalability, because right, manually trying to look at a bunch of different log sources in a bunch of spreadsheets, as much as I love me some spreadsheets, um, <laughs> is going to take a lot of time. Right. You talked about forensics and diving through all these sources. So I think tooling, you know, anything and that can help an analyst bring together a lot of data in one place, whether it's kind of a SEM tool or whatever kind of tool, I, I think is really important to think about. Whatever can speed up your analysis, right? Because so much of the data gathering is what takes time. If you can speed up the data gathering and normalization then you can spend more time digging into the fun stuff, which looking for patterns as we've talked about. Yep, absolutely. Uh, Thank you for that answer. And again, thank you to Upticks uh, for sponsoring this season. For more information on Upticks and what they're doing, please go check out their website, uh, upticks.com. That's U-P-T-Y-C-S.com. So Katie, now you took all this experience that you've had from, you know, working with the government, uh, eventually working with with the MITRE team, And now you are at Red Canary as the Director of Intelligence. Now, that is a great title to have, but it also seems like it can be very intimidating. So uh, what's what's the day-to-day like as the director? Yeah, one of the things I love about my role is that I get to do all kinds of different things. Um, So each of our analysts has a day when we're kind of assigned to look at the different threats that our detection engineers are sending out. So yesterday... Um, I was hands-on looking at these detections um, with my team and our awesome engineers identified a really concerning uh, QBot phishing campaign that was then leading to Cobalt Strike and some really scary pre-ransomware-y stuff. Um, and so like yesterday, I got to be hands-on keyboard, like looking at what the threats are doing, which is really fun. And then, right, moving up, you know, I, I'm not just tactical. I also have a team to manage, right? And that's that's really fun. Not just managing, but trying to lead and inspire and try to align the people on my team to the things that make them excited and help them grow. So I get to kind of lead and mentor and coach others. Um, I also get to, as a director, right, think strategically, right? Okay, what are the cool things that Red Canary is doing? How can my team inform those? What are the different areas my team should expand into, right? How can we better help customers and the community, right, learn about threats? And so that's one of the things I love about my job is that I get to do, right, the span of tactical, operational, strategic work. I'm not always just in meetings or thinking about budgets. 
I'm not always just tactically looking at threats. I get to kind of span that. And that's that's one of the fun things that I love. But I never want to be completely out of the work, which luckily uh, in my company, right, everyone up to the CEO, our CEO still codes things, right? We all we all get to have a hand in the work because I would miss that. I still want to see the threats day to day. Um, it's very refreshing to hear that you and your team, no matter what, I guess, rank you are, still kind of get in the weeds. Um, yeah. I, I talk, I tell people all the time, you know, yeah, you can move up in your career, but I think personally working, working with the team or, or working with the people who you manage, I think it builds morale and it also keeps you sharp. And it also gives you an opportunity to kind of give that hands-on mentoring and, and teaching right then and there. I've come across several places where even in a senior role, they'll, they'll say, what are you doing? And I'm like, I'm, I want to go check out what's going on with this pen test. I'm interested in, in yeah. these APIs. I'm interested in these APIs and what what can happen. And they're like, "What? Like you're you're you know you're an architect." I'm like, "Yeah, that's fine. I'd rather, I'd rather. Sometimes I'd rather be doing that work than, like you said, trying to figure out budgets and vendors and <laughs> all that other stuff." But shifting gears, um, you take all. You also take all of that experience and your leadership values that you have from your experience and, and then with what you're doing as a director. And you're also a teacher or an instructor. And you, I, I've seen, I've seen what you've done, done at SANS. Um, I see what you've done to help young ladies or, or women to, to, to get into like STEM and tech and cybersecurity. And I've always wondered, cause I, I, I have a, I have an idea that I might want to go into teaching myself, but I always feel like uh, I'm not sure if I'm there yet. And I came across someone who said uh, the best way to learn about something <laughs> is to teach it. So is that necessarily true? And is that what led you to start teaching? Yeah, I think teaching is probably the biggest challenge I've faced in my career thus far, um, but also the most rewarding. Um, you know, Sands approached me a couple of years ago and they were looking for instructors for their cyber threat intel class. And I had spoken at one of their summits and I was kind of like, you know, Robert M. Lee DM'd me on Twitter and I was like, oh my gosh, I was definitely fangirling. And I'm like, who am I to teach this? And, you know, I, I'm not an expert. And I think we all, right, we all try to be really humble. And we're like, what, what is an expert? I've had to coach a lot of, uh, a lot of people on, okay, expert is a, is a range, right? Even if you're an expert, doesn't mean you know everything, right? But after kind of getting over that and uh, having some people encourage me, Prepping for the first time that I taught for SANS was a huge amount of work, right? You, you know, I've been doing cyber threat intel, and I had been at that point for over 10 years. But until you try to teach something to others, like, you don't realize that maybe you don't fully understand something. Like, something as simple as the Lockheed Martin kill chain, the cyber kill chain. I was like, oh, yeah, like, no problem. And then I start going through, and I'm like, well, what do these phases really mean? And what's the point of using the kill chain? And... It was such a challenge, right? It still is a challenge. But what I found is exactly what you said, that once you teach something to others, you have a completely different level of understanding of that topic. And what I love about teaching is that I still improve my understanding. Every single class, a student will ask a question or challenge an idea or something I said in a way that makes me rethink what I believe, what I've assessed. And I love that so much, right? What a great way to like challenge my thinking and, and challenge myself to keep learning um, than to kind of teach what I think to others and then hear their feedback and be challenged on ideas. So um, teaching 
it's it's a lot, right? I will say that after teaching a six-day class, I am exhausted. I go take a nap and I like eat popcorn and I tell my husband not to bother me because you give so much of yourself, but it's it's so rewarding. And I think that, you know, teaching for Saiyans, like that's kind of a lot, not for everyone, but I think having that teaching mindset, anyone can do, right? It's just about sharing knowledge and realizing that, right, even if you don't know everything, which no one knows everything, sometimes the way you explain something to others in a blog post, a presentation, or just talking to a teammate, um, maybe the way you explain something helps them learn something new or understand a concept in a way they didn't before. And I think that's what teaching is all about. It's that mindset of wanting to share knowledge and help other people out. Just to become a SANS instructor <laughs> is, is a lot. Um, I've, I've been in communications with them a, a couple times about possibly teaching. And I think I did the same thing when, when, uh, when Steven Sims reached out to me originally. And I'm like, <laughs> I literally have- Who am I? Book. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh my be God. cool. Be cool. I'm like, I, li- I literally have his books. Like I, I literally yeah. like followed his books when I was coming up and I'm still following his books. I'm like, and he knows who I am. And then, so, um, but yeah, here, you know, just going through that process alone is like, wow, that's a lot. And then you have to go out and teach and then face those challenges that, that you, um, that you just mentioned. What is one thing that you try to stress to your students? Like if, if there was one thing that you wanted them to walk away with that, that could even possibly be more important than the, the course itself, what is one thing you want them to walk away with, uh, when, when they leave your classes? I think that one thing that I always try to emphasize, especially towards the end of class, is that I can teach you the topics and you can go through the exercises and you can recite, okay, the definitions of threat or whatever, but the real power in anything that you're learning or that I'm teaching you is when you start to apply it. And so I think that's one of the biggest challenges, right? I've had as well as you go to a class and right? It's awesome and you learn so much, but then sometimes if you don't try to apply it or think through the concepts, you lose it. And that's not as valuable as it could be. So I think what I try to stress to students is that really the class is the beginning, right? I am introducing concepts to you, tools to you, new techniques and methodologies, but then you have to go apply it. And you have to take it back to your day job. Think about, okay, how can I use what I learned to make my team stronger, make our processes better? And so I think that's the biggest thing I would emphasize is, right, it's a it's a start of a journey. Anytime you're doing any kind of training or self-study, um, you need to really think about following up and applying what you learned and chewing on those concepts, right? Some of the concepts we talk about, like clustering with a diamond model and creating threat groups, like that's stuff that, you know, it took me many months and years even to think through those concepts. So don't just think of training as an isolated thing. Think of it as a start and then you have to go apply it to make it useful. I tell the people who I, I mentor, you know, it doesn't stop here. It does, you know, it doesn't stop with, you know, reading this book. It doesn't stop with taking this course. It doesn't stop with getting, even getting the certification. Uh, that's just the beginning. And uh, in, in all honesty, it, it it takes work and it takes a lot of work. It takes a lot of man hours outside of your regular nine to five or whatever your shift is. Too many times uh, talking to people who say they're interested in, in getting into the field, you know, they think 
I did A, so now I should go to B and game over. I, I, I got I got a job and I'm fine. I'm like, yeah, okay, so what are you gonna do to keep the job? Um, I compare it to to Moore's law. So Moore's law states that, you know, any any form of technology usually becomes obsolete within 18 months. So if the tech, if technology goes obsolete in, in that short amount of time, then the skills around these technologies probably go obsolete even sooner. So you always need to stay ahead of the, the advancements of technology. Um, that that's the first thing I tell people. And then I say, you know, if, if that, if, if that doesn't, <laughs> if that, if, if, if that doesn't sound interesting to you, then, you know, you, this probably isn't for you. Um, I probably should find a better way to say that, which leads to my next question. Um, <laughs> any tips for people who are interested in teaching and and just don't know if they should or where to start? Yeah, as I mentioned, there are lots of ways to be a teacher. Um, I always recommend a great way to start is within your own team. If you don't have something already like a lunch and learn, Right. A lot of security operations centers might have like weekly, just informal training amongst the team. My team does this every two weeks where someone who's looked into a topic just shares it with the rest of the team. I think that's a great place to start within your own team, your own company. Um, other ways to get started, try doing a presentation. It's not for everyone. So if you just want to stay within your own team, that's cool. Doing presentations can be really helpful um, and one thing I always encourage people to do is not get intimidated by, oh, someone else has already talked about this topic. A lot of times there's value in you bringing your explanation, your perspective to a topic. So presentations um, are a great way to get started because if you think about it, when you're presenting, you're really teaching the audience. And so, you know, smaller uh, venues, B-sides are one of the best opportunities. Your local B-sides is a great place if you want to start trying uh, trying to do a talk and give that a shot. So I think presentations can be a great way. The other thing, blogging, tweeting, right? Blogs are great, especially personal blogs that no one pays for because you blog as much as you want, right? If you start a blog and you're like, cool, I'm really excited. I'm going to write a post every week. And then you never post again. That's okay, right? But see if that's a way that you like to share. And I think it's not going to be one size fits all, right? The way that I teach might be different than the way you teach, and that's fine, but just trying it, right? Trying different things and seeing kind of what makes you excited, what makes you happy, and how do you enjoy sharing your knowledge? That's what teaching is all about. Yeah, I, I think one of the benefits of the pandemic, if you want to call it a benefit, uh, is the fact that there are so many ways to communicate now without being face-to-face. -face. Uh, you can do online presentations, Zoom calls, online meetup groups, uh, blogging, like like you mentioned, and and then, you know, YouTube and social media. Um, I, I've, I've started a YouTube channel, um, which actually led to, to this here. But uh, yeah, you you there's so many different ways. And then also on top of what you're doing with the teaching, you're also bringing in, um, like I said, you're doing a lot of work with 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 young women and teaching them about technology. And I think that's amazing for multiple reasons. What's it like to, you know, work with these the, the, these young people uh, who, like we just talked about, might just be into social media and stuff like that? How do you break that barrier to get them interested and to stay interested? 
Yeah. And uh, it's been such a, an honor for the past couple of years to volunteer for Cyber Jitsu Girls Academy, which is a program of the Women's Society of Cyber Jitsu. Um, and it has been tougher during the pandemic. We haven't had in person, but hopefully we'll get get back up and up and running soon. But you know, I think it's not just through cyber jitsu. We tried to reach right middle school, high school aged uh, young ladies, and then I think the real challenge is keeping young women or other folks from different groups. As you said, right? We need we need everyone. We need a lot of perspectives in this field. You know, making sure everyone's supported through all of the parts of their career. Um, I think cyber jitsu girls is cool because right. I think when you know I was in middle school or high school, like. It was just the guys who took we had we even had a programming class in my high school and I was like, oh, like I that's not me. I didn't see any other girls doing that. Right. And so I think just just being there and showing, yes, there are women in cybersecurity. If you like computers, um, one of the one of the classes before the pandemic, like half the group by the end of the workshops, they all said they wanted to be video game designers, which is really cool. We're like, awesome. That's really hard, but go for it. And, you know, I think that it's it's thinking about helping people along every stage of their career, right? Getting them interested at a young age when, you know, a lot of young ladies start to lose interest in science and math and engineering and computers and tech, you know, around middle school. So getting them there. And then, you know, what I've also really enjoyed is um, naturally throughout my career, women that I've met, that I've worked with, um, or women who just reach out on Twitter, um, sometimes we'll just ask for advice or career thoughts. And, you know, it's, it's always tough sometimes because I'm like, who am I? Like, I, I don't know. Like, I, I'm happy to just talk to people and, uh, you know, share what's worked for me. But, you know, one of the things that I've realized, and right, I would say this about you as well, just, just being visible, being out there. Um, my team has had a significant increase in the number of female applicants, right? And I think having people who are public, people who are out there in leadership, I think is is really helpful to draw new people into the field. We need to have different trains of thought and we have we have to have different people from different backgrounds. And I feel that if we're going to do this right, we have to be the change that we want to see. So, you know, bringing in bringing in people who may not look like the norm um, that's that to me that that's my priority because there are so many people who are doing so many great things. And if you don't, you know, open up your eyes to it, you're not, you're, you're going to miss out on some great stuff. Uh, one of the things I always say is you have multi-million dollar companies who probably multi-billion dollar companies, if they just kind of took off their blinders for a second, I love, I love what you're doing. And, and if there's any way I can help, please let me know. Like I said, I, I'm very familiar with, uh, with the women of cyber jutsu. Um, I, so I, I do stuff with them a lot, uh, outside of work. So uh, again, thank you for that. But in your in 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 your experience and in everything that you're doing whether it's teaching, uh, you know, doing the stuff with the director uh, of intelligence and everything, what are some of the challenges that you face um with your with your day-to-day -day job or with teaching? Like I know you said, you know, it's challenging now to kind of do this, some of the teaching stuff with the with the pandemic and things. But yeah, what are some challenges that you that you face or some things that you just find difficult? <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think we, we talked about it at the beginning, balance. Um, I think that's a risk, especially in this industry, but anywhere where you're passionate about something and you love what you do, 
And I think during the pandemic, you know, everyone working from home, and I think there's an even higher risk of not stopping your workday. And I think that's something that a lot of people struggle with and I struggle with as well. I love what I do, but that doesn't mean that I should be doing it 24 by 7, right? So, you know, trying to model good behavior for my team. Um, I try really hard. If I see them on nights and weekends, I'm like, I give them a little eye emoji in Slack. Like, hey, do you really need to be doing this at midnight or on Saturday afternoon? Like, go out and live your life. Um, so that's something I struggle with is a balance. And, you know, there'll be times when I'm super excited. I love what I do and I accept, right, three speaking engagements in a month and I'm so pumped up and it's great. And then I'm the night before, I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm so tired and I just want to go to bed and I have to do these slides. And that balance, it's a constant struggle. Sometimes I do better with it than others. Um, I probably need to take more vacations. My boss would probably tell me that I need to take more vacations too. So yeah, to be honest, right, it's a balance of like loving what you do, but keeping below even anywhere close to that burnout line. Because if any of us get to that red line where you're like, oh my gosh, I just can't, like that's terrible for you as a human. It's also terrible for your team and for this industry, right? If we get so overwhelmed and doing so much that we can't operate, right? That's not awesome. So like anyone, balance, right? Taking time for for myself, for my family to do fun things, um, even though I love my job, right? That's not the question. It's it's the balance in life. Yeah. Um, and to add to that, I'll say, and, li- and listen to your body. Uh, your, mm. your, your body will tell you when, yeah. when, when you're on E, if you don't, eventually your body's going to stop you and you, you don't want that to happen. <laughs> that, that happened to me. I, I, I was so hell bent on, you know, getting the certification and working full time and doing this and still trying to be, you know, a dad. So making all the tennis practices and soccer practices and tennis matches and soccer games and, you know, still making sure that, you know, my wife sees her husband, you know, (laughs) a couple times a day. And this is all while working remote. Sometimes a lot of people look at working remote like, oh, yeah, great. I get to I get to work in my sweats and I don't have to get dressed. But um, it, it's definitely a, a culture shock because there are a lot of people who work from home and whether it's their own, I guess, guilt, you, you want to call it, or their employer, you know, they feel like, oh, well, since I'm working from home, I should work a few more hours or I mm-hmm. could work a couple more hours. And next thing you know, like, you know, like you said, it's one, two o'clock in the morning or Saturday or, you know, so yeah, definitely listen to your body and make time for yourself. Um, I, Excellent I, I advice. Def- and uh, like- one thing I've, I've tried to focus on is saying no more. Um, it's so easy to say yes, but when you say yes to one thing, um, you're saying no to something else. I heard this at a women's leadership conference a few years ago and it stuck with me. Like if I say yes, I can do this presentation Am I saying no to time with my husband? Am I saying no to sleep time? Am I saying no to coaching and mentoring time with my team? Like, it's always a trade-off. And, you know, I one of the things that I've tried to get into the habit of is, you know, if someone asks me to do a talk and I'm just like, I, I just feel like I can't, I say, thank you so much for thinking of me. It's going to be a no as I'm trying to, you know, not uh, overcommit. And I have never had someone push back on that. Every single time they're like, totally hear you. Thanks for your consideration. So not being afraid to say no, I think is really important. Yeah, that 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 balance is is super important. Um, 
I, I did the same thing a few years ago. I, I, I put out a tweet and was like, Hey, if anybody wants me on their platform. And then I got Ooh. so many requests and I think I did like 19 in a stretch of like three months. It's a lot. And yeah, it was like talk, and then and then and then that's what and then I did a presentation for Sands, and then I had to do another presentation, and then it was like, yeah. I, I, after a while, I was like, okay, I'm not doing anything at all, and then it's like, hey, where you been? <laughs> so I did the same thing. It's like in cycles where you're like, oh god, I did too much. I'm just gonna like hide under my desk for two months, right? Yeah, definitely. Def- and then also still trying to do your own, like you said, your own blog and your own mm-hmm. podcast. It was it, it was a lot. Um, I remember I I took a break and I went on vacation last year and um, I actually used it as the like build up trailer to my new season of my podcast because I was getting messages like, where are you? What's happening? And it was like, and it even got to the point where like, I mean, they were, they were friendly, like they were great people. So I didn't take it personally, but it was almost like threats. It was like, if you don't come back. (laughs) I will just give me some time, need some time for myself. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So that, that's definitely important with all your years of experience and the advancements of attacks. What is one thing you think needs to change? Interesting. Um, I think one thing that probably needs to change, and this is sort of across our community in general, is uh, automatically dismissing ideas that don't fit our own or new ideas or disagreement or dissent. Um, and this is obviously easier said than done, but you know, we have our beliefs or our assessments. Okay, here's how I think this adversary might act. And someone might disagree with our assessment, say, hey, well, have you looked at this other piece of information, right? And this is in cyber threat intelligence or any intelligence disagreement. And it takes a lot of maturity. Um, and I often fail at this to say, okay, someone's disagreeing with me rather than immediately getting defensive and saying, you have no idea what you're talking about and attacking them ad hominem attacks, stopping and thinking, okay, do they have a legitimate point, right? I think this is how we can improve our analysis of adversaries but improve as a community as well, right? Um, You know, and realizing, we talked about the importance of of diversity in all forms, people who think differently. And that's particularly important in cyber threat intel as we're trying to make assessments about what threats are doing, what adversaries are doing. Sometimes listening to that voice who's newer to the field, right, or isn't part of the way that everyone thinks is really important. So I think listening to dissenting views in a more respectful, productive way would be a, a big growth area and a big improvement. And as always, I realize that is much easier said than done. But setting aside the ego a little bit, stopping, taking a deep breath. Okay, they're not attacking me. They're questioning my idea and trying to kind of give that credence and respect, I think would be a, would be a good step forward. I agree. When, when I put up a blog post or I put up a post on Twitter or something and someone responds, I actually read it five times. I tell myself, you know, because the first time you read it, you're going to go, what the, yeah. and, you, and you're attacking and you're, my idea. Yeah. Right. And then, so, so I make sure I read it um, because sometimes things get lost in translation with text. That's why I actually, especially don't like on Twitter. I, yes. I don't like text messages or, or Twitter mm-hmm. messages like that because I might be reading it in a more aggressive tone 
than than the person who intent wrote intended. So like I said, I, I'll read it about three, about four or five times, and then I start to ask myself, okay, based on what you read, do you think this is they're attacking you or are they attacking your idea? Sometimes you can't answer that question with just one, you know, with that, that's that one post. So I'll even invite people to elaborate. And then after two or three responses, I'll go, oh, no, okay, no, you definitely just don't like me. Got it. Okay. <laughs> You're just a troll versus <laughs> yeah. you have a point here yeah, that I've like, tried to listen to. Yeah, you know, and it's kind of like everybody has an opinion, um, especially on social media. And you have to tell yourself that you don't ha- not not the nasty attacks, not the threats, not not the racist or the bigoted or the sexist or whatever attacks. You don't no one deserves those things. But when you when you sign up for social media, you're signing up for, like you said, difference of opinion. Um, as long as the opinion is respectful and, you know, they're not attacking you personally, you know, you, you shouldn't you shouldn't write them off. Like you said, it could be it could be a perspective that you didn't see. It's, it's a fresh set of eyes. I think that's super important. I think that's that's gotten lost with everybody. That's one of the things that I think got lost with everybody kind of working from home and being in their own bubbles and their own silos is that we've lost that uh, ability to effectively communicate. So, yeah, I think we need definitely need to get back to that, especially in our field, because if not, we're going to run into a whole lot of problems. Agreed. If you were if you were someone to call you in, let's say it's a company, they didn't have a big budget, but they want to take security seriously. They want to defend their stuff. What is something that you would recommend that's maybe not necessarily an expensive solution, but but a solution nonetheless that could be a quick win? It's boring, but asset inventory. Figure out what is on your network to start with. Um, and of course, as always, these things are so easy to say. Yeah, just go out and like map everything on your network. Um, that's a huge, huge challenge. But if you have a couple people who are really dedicated, maybe you buy a tool, maybe you don't, um, to help you do that. I, I think that's one of the things that everyone says it over and over. It is uh, basic, but it is not easy or simple to do. But I think, right, starting with that basis of what do you have in your organization you're trying to protect is a really good starting point. Yeah. Um, I, I don't know if you saw me just like going to church here when you said it, it was, but it was, I agree wholeheartedly. One of the things that with the team, uh, with the company I work at is we, we empower each other to, to, to do these things. So, you know, if we're not necessarily on an assessment or, or there's no fire to put out at the moment, we tell people, we tell our, our, our team members, go out and look, right? Go, go scan the stuff. Obviously don't test in production. We don't want to do that. <laughs> no one ever but, tests um... <laughs> in broad, never. <laughs> yeah. That, that's a whole show in itself there. That's a different <laughs> conversation the, the, the nightmares of testing. You, you want to go take a look at these S3 buckets and make sure they're configured properly. Go ahead. Um, API inventory, uh, that, like that's become my, my, my niche spot over the years is with API testing. I think that's super important you know, inventory all the APIs you have, make sure that we're not using any deprecated versions or old versions, because uh, these are all gateways to to to, to bigger problems. Um, and like you said, it's not a fun task. 
no one wants to actually have to sit here and look at all old swagger files or <laughs> or api connect files but it, you usually come back with some very useful information either a you can go back to your director and say look we're actually clean i found nothing or b here's what we found this this led to this because you know once you open one door it always leads to another <laughs> so um I think that's important, you know, empowering your team to and, you know, encouraging them to to go out there and, and find these things. And 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 then also positive reinforcement. Uh, it could be in the form of, you know, recognition on the public email or Slack or Discord or whatever it is. Um, it can be a raise or a little bonus, whatever it is, but also, you know, incentivize them in a way that shows you know we we appreciate what you do because a lot of people just look at work like a nine to five so you know it's like i'm you know i'm not gonna do any extra work if that i don't get paid for that you have that mentality as well so if you incentivize it i think um or do some type of positive reinforcement i think that would also encourage people to to take that extra step too what would you um recommend to a new blue team or first day on the job Ask questions. Just ask questions. Um, this, again, it can be such a tough thing, especially when you're new because you don't want to seem like you don't know what you're talking about. But question asking and asking good questions, I think, is is one of the most important skill sets for anyone, whether you're new or not. Um, but, you know, people will – generally teams have training plans. Okay, the new person learns this. But – I found sometimes it's tough for experienced people to know what others don't know, right? It's something that they've been doing for years. It's a routine. It's a process, a tool. And they're like, oh, of course, everyone else thinks like me and knows what I know. So anytime you don't understand or you have a question, right, raising your hand and saying, hey, what about this? Um, I don't understand what you did there. Um, I recently talked to someone in our organization who's helping with continuous improvement. And she started the conversation saying, I don't do cybersecurity. And so, right, I'm, my questions might seem kind of silly. And then she started asking the best questions, like, how do analysts identify new threat groups? And I was like, you have no idea how good of a question that is. And so, right, it is so tough because no one wants to seem dumb when they start a new role. But being bold and asking questions because in getting your questions answered, that's how you learn. Yeah. And I think it goes back to what you were saying about, you know, putting egos to the side and getting that, that fresh perspective. Um, mm -hmm. Yeah. There's no such thing as a dumb question unless, no, I'm not going to say that, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, there's no, there's no such thing as there, there's no such thing as a dumb question, especially if you're new in the field. I, I yeah. think, I think you should be a sponge. Um, I tell, I tell my mentees all the time, okay, don't get overwhelmed. You're going to get overwhelmed anyway, even though I'm telling you not to get overwhelmed. But go in there and be a sponge. Literally yeah. literally be a child in, in a toy store. Like, what's this do? What's that? Why? You know? Yep. And, then, and then what? You know? And, yeah, you might, you might come across some people who that rubs the wrong way. But for the most part, you're going to be met with people who are actually – uh, happy to see that you're willing to ask these questions and learn. And then the, 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 the second part to that is don't just ask the questions and go, okay, yeah, thanks for the answer. Now see how you can, you know, use that and, and take action. You know, 
you and say, hey, I took this this based on the advice that you gave. This is what I came up with. Am I on the right track? And you'll 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 be surprised at the the feedback you'll get from supervisors or you know whoever's in charge that they they see someone is willing to take this and ask these questions and have this follow up, and it makes you a better it makes you a better professional as well because now you know what to look for you know the questions to ask you're 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 empowered to ask more questions because like you said you 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 have people and you're like that is an amazing question now they actually feel they they don't feel so dumb they don't feel like oh should i ask now they know okay she likes when i ask these questions so it's great uh, yeah, yeah and if anyone ever makes you feel stupid for asking a question like just ignore it. like move on find another person cuz that's that's just unnecessary yep <laughs> it happens, yep. but just move on. Yeah. Ignore the haters and find the, find the good people who care about an- answering your questions, helping you grow because there are a lot of us out there. Please yeah, go go back go back to the Twitter conversation from earlier and take that advice. Are there any misconceptions about blue teaming, DFIR, threat intelligence that maybe other people in the industry or even the general public have that you wish uh you could correct? I think one potential misconception is that defense is all one thing and that someone who does network defense, blue teaming, whatever you call it, knows every piece of that. It's just like cybersecurity, right? Or information security. There are so many different roles. And even within blue teaming or digital forensics, there are so many subspecialties. And so realizing that right? If you are in defense, if you're in blue teaming, the blue side, you're still going to be learning within that realm, Um, right? Cyber threat intelligence and tracking adversaries, even within that field, right? I don't know everything about every type of adversary, right? Some people are experts on certain regions of the world or using certain sources, right? I'm not a dark web intel analyst. Some people are excellent at that. And so just remembering that, yeah, we kind of bucket these areas of cybersecurity into blue or red or defer. But within that, there's so many different specialties. And that's what's sort of cool about this field in general and and blue team is that, all right, you start in one area, you learn that, and maybe you find you like it or you don't. Cool, move on to another area. So the fact that it's it's vast and there's so much to do, so many subspecialties and so much to learn. Awesome. So with that, um, I'm going to wrap the show. So I want to thank you again, Katie, for joining. Um, please tell the people how to find you. Yeah, you can find me on Twitter. I'm at Like the Coins, also on LinkedIn um, and Katie Nichols. I'm I'm not as great on LinkedIn though. It's hard to keep up with multiple social media platforms. So Twitter is usually the best place to find me. Um, and yeah, this has been a really fun conversation. So I'd love to love to hear from others who are watching and uh, make new connections in this community. Yes, definitely will. And we will definitely be in contact for 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 other conversations like this. Um, again, super thankful that you took some time out uh, from your busy schedule to have this conversation and also be a part of this team. So everybody watching, thank you. This has been another episode of Hacker Valley Blue. The defenders, like I said, my like I said before, my team is is growing. Um, I'm super happy and super excited to present that final product and and show you uh, some really great people uh, in this field. So 
Thank you again to Ron and Chris for the opportunity. Thank you to uh, Upticks for sponsoring this episode and for the in this season. And thank you to everyone watching and listening or getting this information from whatever platform you're doing. Uh, until then, I will see you next time. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Hacker Valley Blue. If you did, please remember to like it, subscribe to the channel, share it with your friends and colleagues and family members, get it all out there and make sure you tune in for the next episode. Also remember to join our Discord server and you can talk to me and some of the other Hacker Valley family. So make sure you go check us out over there too. 